Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the show. And that's actually a good sign. I've already got Rick laughing. So, you know, there's uh this episode just might be might be worth listening to. Hey Rick. <laughs> My Absolutely. Guest. It's always good to laugh. <laughs> My guest today is Rick Schnabel, and he was born to post-war immigrants who taught him the poverty cycle. It would create a life of hardship, insecurity, violence, and drama caused by perpetual money issues. At 40, Rick untrained his brain and broke the cycle. Rick has turned untraining his clients' brains, their patterns, and programs into a string of success stories, some of which I hope he'll share with us today. Since 2002, when with over 37 thousand brain untraining hours rick has helped average people get beyond average by untraining their brains if you want to learn more from your life you need to untrain your neurological programs driving your current behavior so rick is going to be joining me today for the second time on the show so rick already joined me a couple months back and uh, now we're at it again, and we're going to be focusing today on NLP. So, Rick, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's awesome to be here again. We had a, we had a great bit of fun last time. We did, yes. So, um, for our listeners at home who you know are diehard fans, they would know that I start every conversation around the same, which is asking people about where their spiritual journey began. But we're not going to do that with you because we already did that on episode one. And so, I just yeah. thought we could actually just really launch right into the subject of NLP. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about NLP is I've always been really fascinated in it. I've always been um, really interested in un untraining the brain ever since I saw what the bleep do we know back in, you know, early, yeah. early, early 2000s changed my life for sure. And then I remember hearing as well that Tony Robbins one time took, you know, like a couple of or like a half a workshop or something like that. Quote me if I'm wrong on this as well, or feel free to interrupt me. And um, he went, oh, I've got the concept and went on to do his own thing. So I guess I'm wondering, where did your journey with NLP begin? Yeah, I, I guess the thing for me is my journey with NLP started actually really, really young. Like I was seven years old. My best friend was a library card. And I used to love going to the library and reading books. So they had this real cute little area where, you know, had this sort of riser and you could sit on it and open up, choose any book you want. You know, it was a very rich place to be, really. It was incredible knowledge. But I enjoyed being entertained, you know, looking at reading a lot of the kids' books. And, and then I got to a point that I started getting a bit bored of kids' books and I found myself kind of going just around the corner. There was a psychology section. And 
I started reading some of the psychology books. I can't say I fully grasped some of the in-depth sort of concepts that I was reading, but I was fascinated. And the thing that I was fascinated about is I always saw myself as being poor, disadvantaged. Um, you know, I was kind of like a, a migrant kid, you know, in an Australian school that at the time was, you know, quite racist. And uh, there was a lot of uh, racial tension happening because there was a lot of immigration going on. So there was a lot of Italians, Yugoslavians, Germans, you know, uh, French, you know, lots of people immigrating, you know, to Australia. And the schools were filled with, you know, the Greeks and the Italians and the Yugoslavians and all of the various nations. And what was happening is there was uh, there was a bit of fear going on in the schoolyard. So what would happen is people were looking for difference, constantly looking for difference. And uh, unfortunately for me, it turned quite violent. You know, there were there were blood noses and punches and kicks and all sorts of horrible things. Wow. But when I think about that, I think that, you know, I, I took it on as me. You know, I thought I'm the one. I'm the one with the problem, you know, because I'm the one being here. So it must be me. And the psychology section really helped me to understand myself and get a sense of mindset, where we're at, how we come to think like we do. <clears throat> and the thing that I began to realize is the world in truth is absolutely perfect. You know, some people might say, oh, that is a terrible beginning. And it was a terrible beginning, but it created a pathway for me. Mm -hmm. And the pathway for me was I, I can't tolerate uh, that indifference and that judgment that people place on one another. And I've started to realize further into my life how much people judge one another. And, you know, we know that in psychology, they call it perception is projection. In other words, what is in us is what will focus outwards. So if people are judging other people, then we know by statistics that they're judging themselves. Right. And, and so that was the big problem that I saw. And, and a lot of the things that uh, were really plaguing me and, and causing me a lot of grief in the early part of my life actually created a trajectory to get me to do what I do today. And that is helping people to get beyond that indifference, helping people to get beyond that judgment, helping people to start seeing themselves in a better light so therefore they can start seeing other people in a better light. Yeah, that's so well said. I think that, you know, we often talk about how people are mirrors for ourselves. You know, if there's something that's annoying in somebody else is probably yeah. something that I find annoying to myself or triggering me. How do you think people can kind of wrap their heads around that concept, though? I mean, I guess if we use the example of judgment, if I'm hard on somebody else or judging somebody else, and yeah, I guess it might make sense. But what about if someone's just annoying? Does it mean that I'm also annoying or... You know, are there sort of examples where maybe that isn't so true? <laughs> I just find yeah, sometimes I, the concept is <clears throat> difficult to wrap your head around when you don't want to maybe understand it, I suppose you could say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a good way to consider it, Lauren. It's it's a little bit like, you know, if someone is annoying, you know, and that's a good example that we could rationalize in our minds that it is OK to tell them off. Now, 
if it's okay to tell them off, then if they get more annoying, then, you know, by rights, we can extreme our behavior. We can ramp up, notch up our behavior. So if they get really annoying, we can then punch them. And if they get extremely annoying, then we can shoot them. You know, it's kind oh, of like God. a thin end of the wedge. You know, it's, it's like our job, I think, is to just get rid of all fears mm. and just get rid of all judgment, you know, and to the point. compassion. Exactly. Right. Because the annoying character, and of course we don't know him or her because, no. you know, they're a metaphorical <laughs> character, yes. but let's, let's say we do. And if someone is annoying, what they're aiming to do, like I believe that everyone has a positive intention, but it may not appear so positive. Now the positive intention for the annoying person is they're probably not getting attention from anywhere else and they're wanting some level of attention and they have learned somewhere through their lives that the only way to get attention is to be annoying. And, you know, there are a lot of people with that model in their head. And this is where I see brain untraining so important because I, I remember once I was working with a guy who had multiple sclerosis and he was one of my first serious clients. And uh, he said to me, I said, how, how do you think I can help you with MS? And he said, well, I get a sense that my condition is based on my thinking. So... I get a sense that yeah. you can help me to unlock that. And we got to, lucky I didn't do too much research on, on the internet and uh, discovered that MS is incurable according to many authorities. But uh, we got to the end of the process with this particular gentleman. You know, it was about five sessions that, that we put together. And at the fifth session, he said to me, he said, you know what? I'm not even sure I had MS and I don't have the symptoms anymore and I feel so much better. It's incredible. Mm. And he was a very smart man. But the thing that he said to me, and he was the guy that gave me the brand Untrainer. He said, you're not a trainer. You're not a coach. He said, you're a brain untrainer. He said, you untrain my brain of this multiple sclerosis. And as a result of that, I'm free of it. Now, the thing is that I believe that our job um, is to is to get rid of the illusions, get rid of the judgments, get rid of our reactions or, or our triggers to other people. Where's that man now? Do you know? That man uh, runs a newspaper now. Um, he's fairly high up in in a organisation that runs newspapers. So uh, he's. Uh, he, he was always, he always had an enormous amount of potential. I saw this incredibly, like a very intelligent man, very good leader and mm -hmm. very good insights into human behavior. And, uh, he basically, I, I said to him, I said, you know, what you're really doing with the MS is you're hiding from your potential. You're creating an excuse not to be all you can be. Oh, right. So it was interesting once he got to a point that he had moved through his multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, he, soon after that, he, he used to get what's called toxic. He used to say, I get toxic and then I have to stop working. And then my wife works and she looks after things. 
And, and I said, that's really interesting that this is so centered around your career. And he said, why is that? And I said, what are you scared of in your career? And uh, he was scared of taking that next level. Now, of course, he's at that next level when he's thriving, but he was very, very fearful of it, very scared of it. It's a little bit like that unconscious behavior that we do when, yeah. you know, when we're fearful of something or we're running from something. It's yeah. the times that, you know, we'll get sick. It's the times that, you know, we'll, we'll feel at odds that things aren't really working. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I, you know, it makes me think of, you know, I remember one time I was so burnt out and I was so tired and I ended up um, spraining my ankle like severely where I was off. For, you know a good couple of weeks and you know and manifesting yeah. that um i think that a lot of people as well they can actually um play small subconsciously and they um a lot of them have a weight problem honestly because it's a way of kind of you know oh it, it's an excuse like you were talking about it's a bit of a crutch so oh i'm overweight therefore yeah. i don't want to be seen therefore i don't want to be maybe intimate or i don't want to myself in the spotlight or something like that so you know when do you think people decide that they've they've had enough is that kind of a resolve that comes within self um i know for me it happened in my early my late teens where i was like wait a minute the way that i'm thinking here isn't the way that i want to keep thinking i need to change that that was a really big moment but i really feel like it came from within for me, what about for you? And what have you seen in the people that you've worked with? Yeah, well, I, I think I, there was a gentleman just the other night, we we run these NLP trainings, of course, and there was one student in this group. And you to really learn NLP, sure, you can read about it in a textbook, you can watch videos and so forth. But I'm a big believer that the real way that you learn is to actually learn it and do it and certainly have it done to you so that you fully experience the full frame. And this particular group, there was one particular gentleman and I could see it. I got a sense of sadness in him, even though he's, he was a very pleasant man. He was very social. And, you know, he, by all, you know, all you have to do is do this and you can kind of feign happiness to some Rick degree. Rick is smiling, by the see... way, for our listener at home. They probably don't know what just happened. He's smiling. Oh, he oh that's smiling. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I keep thinking this is a vi visual, but it's not. It's, right. it's auditory. And um, the, the thing that essentially what, what happened is I said, I said to him, it's time to do some work. So we just taught a particular process that we call timeline. And it's a process that what you basically can do is you can rewrite the past. And the way the brain works, it's very much like a computer, it's zeros and ones, it's yeses and nos. So when we have a trauma, what happens quite often is we, we might call that a no, that was a bad experience and we make decisions based on that. So this particular process gets a person to go back to a traumatic event and then the process helps the person to rewrite that event and turn it from a zero into a one or turn it from a no to a yes. Mm. And so this gentleman, we, we got back to a point where he had a tragedy in his family they lost uh, their son 
and their son was just born. So he said in, in the process, he said, I was the only one that actually saw his blue eyes before he died. And like his wife didn't, his partner didn't even see the baby's eyes at all because the baby died, you know, the moment, almost the moment after it came out. And so this was a trauma for him. And he said, you know, after we did this process, he said, I feel so amazing. He said, for 30 years, I have had an incredible amount of sadness and dross that I've been carrying. And people are like animals, you know, like elephants go out to die, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. People do the same thing. People, when they're in pain, will retreat from the tribe. And that's what he did. He pushed his wife away. He pushed his family away. He he played this sad, morose character for 30 years in his life. And after this process that took 30 minutes, he came out of it and, he, and he's been, oh my God, now we're seeing the real guy. Now we're seeing the happy guy. Now we're seeing a guy who is fully engaged with life. Wow. But this is, this is what happens. We, we get trauma. We make a decision about who we are and, or who the world is or both. And then we play that role. We're, we're like actors in a movie, really. And um, I, I have one student. Uh, she keeps referring to a phrase that I come out with through the training. I'll often say, that's just an illusion. And then she'll say, I don't know what that was. That was just a little click or something. Oh, it was my dog barking. Sorry, keep going. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, okay. <laughs> just had like a moment. He had something to say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so essentially she said to me, she said, what do you mean that's an illusion? You keep saying that. And I said, well, the, the truth of the matter is we're not aware of our beliefs, really. We're not really aware of ourselves. The only thing we will never, ever, ever see in our lifetime is ourselves. We will see a reflection of ourselves in the yeah. mirror. We, yeah. we, will, we will see an image of ourselves in a photo, but we will never, ever, ever see ourselves. And so the thing that often happens is we have no idea how we have come to become the person that we are today. And so NLP and the job of NLP is, first of all, discovery. Who am I? How, and then the next question is, how did I become the who that I am? And then the next question is, am I happy with that? Do I want to continue or do I want to change? Is there a vision for me that I'm not achieving? And the question is, why am I not achieving that vision that I have for myself? And, you know, like that was, that was me. That was me in the library going through the psychology books. That was me going, why am I so disadvantaged? Why am I so poor? Why does everyone else have money and I have nothing? And when I began to really understand it, I was in the predicament that I was just because it wasn't really a predicament. I mean, there's a lot of people that are poor and they're actually quite happy. But for me, I was very sad about it because I was creating comparison, looking at other children going to the canteen, you know, the, the lunchroom and buying <laughs> things and, 
and I, and I didn't get any pocket money or any of that. So, mm. but the thing that it did for me is it, it was only until I was 40 years old that I actually got to know why I was like I was. And it was through my journey through NLP. I began to realize like I was, it was one particular major defining moment for me. And I was uh, working for News Limited at the time, you know, one of Rupert Murdoch's companies. And uh, what happened was I was headhunted by a company that sold uh, radio airtime. And uh, this gentleman said to me, he said, you know, I think you'll make a great salesperson. And I said to him at this dinner, I said, why would you choose me as a great salesperson? You know, I, I've never learnt sales. I don't know sales. I don't know anything about it, really. And he said, yeah, but when you care about what you care about, you're very passionate. And he said, I can't buy that. He said, I can teach you sales, but I can't buy that. Mm. I can't train you to be that. And so I took the role, but I was terrible at it. I was really terrible at it. Like in eight months, all of eight months, I brought in a grand total of three and a half thousand dollars, which, you know, pretty much tells you that this guy ain't going to survive in sales. And, um, and I got to a point that uh, financially, I was in a really bad spot. Um, basically, I was down to my last $27, uh, which I've never been down to $27 in, in a bank account, except for, of course, when I was a kid. But um, I was desperate. I, I'd just gotten married. Um, we were having our first child and I was in a terrible spot. And, and I thought, right, I've got to do something about this. So I got a coach and the coach basically said to me, he said, what do you truly honestly believe about salespeople? And I said, after a big gulp, I said, I don't trust them. You know, I think they're sleazy. I think they would sell their own grandmothers. And he said, okay, here's the core of your problem. Think about yourself now. If you were super successful, what would you think of yourself? And immediately a light globe went off and I thought, wow. I wouldn't trust myself. I would think I was super sleazy. And he said, there's your problem. He said, you are conflicting against your own values. You know, you, your values are integrity. Your values are honesty. You like to be respected by people. And so if you, you've got this idea that if you were successful at sales, that you would be disrespected by people, that you wouldn't be honest, you wouldn't have integrity. And this made a huge amount of sense to me. And then he said, but that's a belief. Is it necessarily true? And so it was the first time that I really tried this on as an idea. And I thought about it. I thought, actually, whenever I've had to move house, whenever I've had a problem, it's the sales friends that I have that usually volunteer to help me move boxes. It's the sales friends that I usually have that when I'm in a bad place, offer me a book or an idea or, or might coach me. And I thought, you're right, that's completely untrue. Salespeople are not sleazy. In fact, you know, the real meaning of sales is to serve. And 
when that happened, it was, it was amazingly profound. Like for me, what happened was I went from the worst salesperson in the history of this company to the best in three months. So in three months, I had made such a difference because I started exploring all sorts of beliefs that I had. I started untraining a lot of patterns and ideas that I had. But then I had another problem. And the next problem was that um, our prime minister at the time was a gentleman called uh, John Howard. And one of my colleagues said to me, he said, how do you feel earning more than our prime minister and working a tenth of the time that he does? And, And that blew my mind. I thought, wait a minute. I am working far less, but I'm making more than the prime, the guy who runs our country at the moment. And uh, so I then had to get some more coaching to come to accept that because I had never seen so much money in all my life. Mm. And there was a part of me that kind of felt like I was cheating the system or something. And then I had to rationalize that too. So that's, that's what really NLP is all about. It's about working out where you want to get to, finding out why you're not there, and then altering the elements that make up who you are and the the identity elements in essence, like who you believe you are, who you think you are through your history, what you think you can do, and what you think you can't do equally. And so it's that big exploration. Do you think that people have to, because I really focus a lot on being in the present moment. I don't particularly enjoy, you know, trying to figure out the why behind things all the time, I guess, because I remember about probably seven or eight years ago now, I was doing all this reading and te- and learning and blah, blah, blah. And I almost gave myself a mental breakdown, honestly, because I could not quiet my mind. And I was just so fixated on why things you know, root causes of everything that it really overwhelmed me. But I guess, so my question was going to be, you know, do you really have to go back and find the story and all that to change the way that you are now? But I guess at the same time, I kind of realized through your story that if you weren't aware that you had these programs, then you wouldn't be aware of being able to change them. So it's kind of like you do have to do both, but can you also be aware that you have a program running or a belief without knowing the root cause and then just take it from there? Or do you have to go yeah, back? You, you don't always have to go back. You know, the, the point often of going back is to really find out, you know, what is the belief or what is the pattern that we're following? Who am I modeling? Am I, am I just being my dad here? Am I just mm-hmm. being my mother here or my brother or sister or whoever was the influencer? And it's the point of transformation, I guess, is the first point is really understanding. You've, you've got to understand why you've come to be who you are. Mm. And if you don't really fully understand how you've come to be who you are, you really don't have the momentum or the understanding to drive yourself to the next level. So the easiest thing to do is to continue being who you are. That's the easiest thing to do. You you don't have to question anything. You could just go ahead and just 
every single day, just keep doing what you're doing and don't concern yourself about any part of it. <laughs> but it become, and, and in truth, I would say that about, you know, 80% of people are exactly like that, maybe even more, that there yeah. are a very small percentage who actually question the system, question themselves, question, you know, how things came to be. And it is very, very easy for people, that is people, clever people, people with authority, to be able to take advantage of people who are, let's call it unaware. You know, um, some people would call those people ignorant, but I think that's unfair. You know, I don't think those people are ignorant. I, I think those people are just, just unaware. You know, that's really it. They're unaware of what can be. They're unaware of where they could get to. And so what they do is they just say, this is my lot and I will just live my life like this. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, I mean, there's a part of us that is <clears throat> very much hardwired to being the same, you know, just keep being the same. We love to have certainty, you know, that tomorrow, the day, the only thing that most, most people talk about is the weather, you know, and that's changing all the time. But most people want to have breakfast in the same way at the same time, sleeping in the same bed, wearing the same clothes, you know, with a smidge of variety, you know, dress it up a little bit every now and then, change, yeah. change it up a little bit. But it's very few people that actually sit back and start to question the world, question their patterns, question who they who they are. And I could have done that, but in all honesty, I do not believe that I would be alive today if I didn't change because I was so sad about where my life was going mm -hmm. that I don't believe I could have tolerated it. Mm -hmm. I've got about 50 questions that I want to get to before we wrap up here. So good luck to me. Cool. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, my question, my first question is, you know, because it's always like, well, which order do I go in? I mean, when I want to go back to that man that you were working with initially, because you talked about a timeline exercise. And I was just yeah. wondering, you know, based on the ideas of beliefs, based on the ideas of, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves on a regular basis, what's your thought on whether or not memories are real? Because I mean, obviously memories are real, but I mean, everyone has a different take on a memory, especially people who have been in the same situation. And I guess I was just wondering if you could talk about that in relation to the the timeline exercise that you talked about, because it kind of, you sort of touched on it, but you didn't really go into it. I was under the impression that maybe you went in and like the man changed his memory of it. Like maybe he focused on the beauty of the blue eyes and that gift, as opposed to the loss that came from it. But I'm not sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic and miracles within. Yeah, I think firstly, Lauren, that's a fantastic question because that is the crux of change. Now, you were talking about memories being real and they're not really, but we make them real. The truth is your memory is only a memory of the last time that you remembered it. So, Oh my God, this is layers upon layers upon layers of is. memory. 
absolutely. I feel like I just had like a weird brain kind of explosion (laughs) there. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, let me give an example of this. When I was at school in high school, um, do you know the the, the band ACDC? Yes, I do. Well, when they first when they first started, um, my girlfriend was able to get them to play at our school. Oh my god! So, wow. so which was amazing. You know, it was incredible. They were so loud they nearly burst the windows. <laughs> but it was it was fantastic just watching them. You know, and Angus Young getting carpet burns. You know, doing his little swivels on the floor and all oh, of that sort of so stuff. Good. But um, I remember a bus, you know, that they arrived in. And I swear, black and blue, that that bus was yellow. But the reason that the bus was yellow in my mind, and I only discovered this when I read Mark Evans' biography, that he described their blue bus. And I thought, their bus isn't blue, their bus is yellow. And the only reason I believed it was yellow was introduction the simpsons you know start seeing the bus constantly which was it was that type of bus like it like in the simpsons yeah but um i see it as yellow because the simpsons had overlaid the yellow over the top of my memory so my memory changed wow so the thing that we have is we may have a conversation but our feelings will even taint the actual memory of it, you know, like yeah. we could have a, a exciting conversation about a holiday. And let's say if you're in a down state, when you're listening to that story, then you share that story with someone else. And you say, Rick was sharing a story about a dreadful holiday he had. <laughs> right. <laughs> because our state taints the story. So let me go into detail how timeline works and with this gentleman. So basically what happens is, you know, what you do is you, in NLP, there's a thing called perceptual positions. So what you do is if you see the world through your own eyes, it feels like it's real and it feels like it is part of your present right now, even though it's a memory. So the moment that you reflect and see a memory again through your own eyes, what you're now doing is you're only remembering it as you're remembering it now. So the memory can equally shift and change. So there's now there's a very clever piece in this process. And that is that what you do is you rise up above, like you rise up above now. And the now that we're talking about in timeline is actually in the past. So what he did is he rose up above that moment when his son was being born. So he was the witness of the moment instead of being in the moment. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and, And we call it in NLP a disassociation pattern. So when you are disassociated, you can actually distance yourself from the emotions. The moment you distance yourself from the emotions, the emotions now can change and so can the situation. So while we're looking through our own eyes, we're feeling the emotions while we're looking at ourselves in the event, we can distance ourselves from the emotion. 
So now you've got the opportunity to start putting in some extra elements into that fundamental piece when he is now looking down, seeing his wife, having his son, he can now look down at that moment and see it differently. So what we got to with him to really turn this around is we started exploring the concept of people coming into our lives just to value something. So in other words, what he started to get was that his son was born and decided to die after birth to increase this gentleman's, uh, this father's value of family. So, you know, like you've sometimes got to lose something to really value it. And so once he got this, he started to go to a whole new spiritual plane. He started to think that people come into life and actually will sacrifice their own life for someone else's learning. And this is where he's getting to. Yeah. And he had he had recognized in this moment that he did the opposite. Yes. He pushed his family away. And so all of a sudden, you know, there were a lot of tears, of course, but all of a sudden he began to realize how important the people around him are and how he had been pushing them all away. Wow. And he also got, and I thought this was fantastic of him to get this, that while he, all those years, those 30 years that he had been holding on to his son, even though his son had passed on, that his son had no freedom either. That he had to hang around and, you know, until his dad got the learnings got that it. he had to get from the experience that he had had. Wow. So what happened, this was an incredible shift for him. And as a result, you know, he gave me this beautiful testimonial, which I thought was really like, he's quite introverted. So it was quite a big thing for him to come yeah. out and give us a testimonial. And, um, and he said that, you know, all of those 30 years of dross and sadness just all melted away. And he said, I am closer to my wife now than I ever have been. I'm closer to my other children than I ever have been. You know, I've realized how I have left them, you know, at arm's length. And it's been such a huge difference for him. And That's amazing. So, so it's, it's that opportunity of perceptual positions. Like we, yeah. we get to see ourselves through other people's eyes or, or see ourselves from another perspective. So I'm going to keep some of these answers short because you've got a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, I unless do. Unless you want me to go deeper, deeper with it. Stop any. being so inspiring, Rick. <laughs> you know, wow. I just want to say like about a few things in relation to that. Number one, wow. Um, number two, that man. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, he had to go through 30 years of anguish. But, you know, his story, I know that that would be changing lives for other people to hear that. And I'm sure I've got a listener at home who's going oh my and and has just had you know that aha moment that's just happened to them when you were saying oh, that, that you know that phrase as well that came into my mind was life is happening for us not to us 
And um, yeah. I think that that's really properly illustrated in that example. You know what came to me too when you were talking is um, I I listened to a lot of Esther Hicks and Channeling Abraham's work, and I personally really love yeah. that stuff. And one of the things that um, she always talks about, or they always talk about, is how we have this incessant need to talk about things as they are, not necessarily about how we want things to be. And so when you were yeah. telling that story, I heard an objection from a listener in my mind which basically said well in a way you're telling yourself a lie and I guess my question to you is does that matter and then my also response just on my own because I feel like I wanted to also say something to that objection is that you have a decision all the time to live in the life that you create for yourself and so if you want to be 30 years estranged from your family then that is up to you, but you don't have to be. You can put a different spin on this. And I know some people have gone through horrific, traumatic, awful things, and I'm sure it would be very difficult to be a witness and to look at the gift within that experience. However, you don't need to take that burden and that baggage with you. And in fact, it's impeding you from making the rest of your life something that's to be desired or something that you enjoy your thoughts rick yeah well firstly the the piece that you were talking about is a memory that may not be true may be a lie um many years ago i wrote a book called the power of beliefs which has now changed to seven beliefs that'll change your life and when when i spoke to my publisher about it you know when we were talking about the cover of the book um, I said, can we put in the word belief, can we highlight the L-I-E right in the middle of it? And he said, what, you mean lie? You want to you highlight lie on the cover of your book? And I said, yes, because, and he said, that's too confusing for people. And I said, because beliefs are bloody confusing. And, you know, beliefs can be true in one moment, but they can be completely untrue in another moment. And, and they are flitting, you know, beliefs are basically what we choose them to be. They're not necessarily real or untrue. We, we look at what's going on in the Ukraine at the moment. And, you know, we've got, you know, we've got one leader who has one set of beliefs. We've got another leader who has another set of beliefs and that's why they're in conflict. But, you know, both of them think that they're right. Both of them think that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's a little bit like the, the thing that happens is a loaf of bread is just a loaf of bread, but we can't help it. We're meaning making machines. We're going to call it a delicious loaf of bread. Or we're going to label gonna... it and say it's healthy for you or it's not or yeah, it's stale exactly. or it's fresh or it's yeah. small or big or whatever. Yeah, so we're going to put our our um, biases on that and, and that's what we do on a regular basis. And those biases pretty much become true to us. They become real. You know, um, I'm not a big fan of the frames, but when people call people bitches and bastards and so forth, you know, they're very judgment frame and they're very, they're very polarizing. 
but people will give names to all sorts of people but the moment that the moment you call someone and I hate using these frames but it's good for the example but the moment you call someone a bastard that person has to remain in that space and they have to reflect back to you that element that is getting that classification in order for it to exist so you keep them a bastard they keep performing as the bastard and so the only way that you can actually really change this is by changing your perspective. You know, stop calling them a bastard. And yeah, or telling your kids they're naughty. Exactly, exactly. Because we can't help it as humans. Our behavior becomes our identity. And when when you say, as you rightly say there, that, you know, the child is naughty, the child then can associate, if they hear that enough, they will associate to that. And you are actually training that child, you know, and I hate to say this to the extreme, but you are actually training that child to perhaps end up in prison, you know, because they take it on as an identity. And then they tell other people, well, I do that because I'm naughty. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the things that you talked about earlier that I really felt was important to kind of talk about was when you had to do a bit of a second mindset shift in relation to um, your finances. And what that made me think about was receiving. And, you know, yeah. very often we're really good at calling out things to other people, you know, the naughty kid or somebody who's acting like a bastard, just to quote you. <laughs> um, but <laughs> <laughs> really, what we're also doing is we're kind of almost projecting everything out and instead of in. And what I notice in um, yeah. a lot of the people that I talk to and work with, and I'm sure it's the same for you. And I will say on the flip side, I'm really interested in your response to also assist myself here, is that sometimes people feel, you know, that they're not able to receive. And so um, I'm really kind of wondering about how you kind of work with people around that um, in terms of, you know, financial abundance, in terms of love, in terms of opportunities, you know, and, you know, is, do you have to kind of find the belief around receiving such as I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough um, in order to kind of combat that? Or can you just go off of the fact that maybe people don't have abundance that they want in their life and their they're wanting to attract more, for example. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to that. Um, that was given the fact that I'd gone from being very uh, poor with money to becoming very abundant with money. My life had changed so much, and I was so excited about it that I wrote a book about it. Um, lots of people read that book, then they wanted coaching, they wanted me to show them how to start allowing more money into their lives. And I would often get people who would say, what is that one belief that's stopping me from earning the sort of money that I really would desire? And I'd say, for a start, don't look for one belief. It's not going to be one belief. It's going to be a whole cluster of beliefs. And not only that, it's going to be something that you did in your past, a decision that you made in your past about are you abundant or are you not? Mm. And, and then you would have built so much evidence around it and you would have built a lot of structure around it. You would have gone for jobs that only pay you what you think you're worth. 
you would have never stretched yourself to get, you know, way beyond what we might call our pay grade. And equally, you know, the, the whole game of wealth is, is a fascinating one. I've loved that, um, the knowledge that I've gained in that space. And the last book that I wrote on it was a book called A Richer Way to Think. And, and that's really the prime fundamental of understanding wealth. The first thing that we have to understand is that wealth in our minds, if we're not wealthy, is well apart from us. It's the us and them. You know, we think they are the ones that are wealthy and we are the ones that are not. We are the ones that are disadvantaged and so forth. And so what you've got to do is you've got a little bit like what I was talking about in the earlier piece with my big aha about salespeople that are sleazy. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the same sort of thing. What we do is many of our judgments about people who have done well financially, you know, are judgments that ensure that we'll never get there. Because if you understand the very basis of a judgment, when you call someone a bastard or when you call someone rich and you say it in a derogatory tone, Hmm. what you're actually doing is you're judging those people. So you are pushing them away from you, holding them at arm's length or even further away. So that means you will never allow yourself to go into those frames. You will never allow yourself to go into those categories. And this is something that I really understood um, at the early piece was when I started making so much money, there was a part of me that kind of felt like I was cheating the system or (laughs) I was doing something wrong. And, you know, it seemed to be very inequitable. It seemed unfair. You know, I was working very few hours and yet I was making so much money. And it was coming in in buckets. And, you know, what I used to earn in my annual salary, I was now earning that in a month. And it was ridiculous. And so there was was a part of me that my ego took a hold of this. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking I was better than everybody else. You know, I'll be honest, that's how I felt. And, and then, of course, the universe had to give me a big wake-up call around that. And, uh, and I began to realize that, you know, that egotic position isn't a healthy position. So, you know, there were lessons, further lessons along that line. So the first fundamental element of moving from the position that we're in is desire. You know, we've got to desire it. And, you know, that's our very first position. We've got to go, okay, I desire it. Then we move into our next position where we have to understand why our brain, our life, our actions, all our behaviors, why we are where we are right now. So, and I remember in that particular book, I built a matrix for this. And the matrix essentially said that the very first element that you have to focus on is the attitude element. You know, your beliefs, your values, your metaprograms, all your neurology that make up how you show up every day. You know, are you more positive? Are you more negative? 
you know, are you very judgy and critical, which by the way, judging and criticism and cynicism is just fear. It's just cloaked in intellectualism. Mm -hmm. And lacks You know, it sounds like, I think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It lacks a lot of self-love. Mm -hmm. And so the attitude piece is most, most critical. That's going to determine where you go next. And the next is the actions piece. So what we have to do is we have to say, okay, our actions, everything we're doing right now, the net total is my net income. You know, everything that I do gives me my net income. So then you've got to say, okay, so I want more than I earned last year. I want to double it. I want to treble it. So now I've got to say what actions are going to manifest that because there's got to be some sort of behavioral shifts and change. Right. You know, it's oh, not you can't just, a belief just sit change. back and let the money rain? <laughs> no. Shit, <laughs> okay. That's the yeah. only reason why My... I wanted to have this conversation. Just kidding. <laughs> mind you, mind you, there, there, there is, you know, I, I don't completely discount yeah. that. Yeah, there is a part there... of, yes, surrendering there, and allowing is... things to happen as well. Yeah, yeah 100%. Like, I, I wanted to buy uh, another house at one point. And I was short just a ridiculous amount. Like I was just short five and a half thousand dollars. That's that was it, you know, and that's all I needed. But I had stretched so much to get this particular property that I didn't have that extra five and a half. So I just went out and I bought a lotto ticket. And weirdly, I won second prize which was exactly five and a half thousand dollars and i was able to buy the house so the the (laughs) thing is that i I do believe i do believe that there are some greater powers at play i really really do believe that yeah you know but i don't like to say to people just lay on your couch and just wait for your bank manager to arrive with a big you know suitcase full of money for you um the, the universe rewards action. It really does, you know, and action is why we're here. We're, we've got, we've got to learn. We've got to learn. And so the action part, what that does is the next piece after the action part is that we start building our capabilities. We start building our skills, Mm -hmm. you know, now we can do things that we couldn't do before. And as a result of those skills, they can now create more, that opportunity again and again because we've we've hit a new level. We've hit we've hit a new plateau. And the final piece is now we have to systemize it. We've got to put it into systems so that we can find out what went well, and and also identify what went wrong. So that is what I call my success matrix. But 95% of success is governed by that first piece, the attitude. The attitude, Because yeah. it, that, that kind of determines how much you'll do. Yeah. You know, and there is, there's one word that um, really makes a big difference in the attitude piece, and that's why. Why do you do what you do? And yeah. What, yeah. what that will show you, is that will show you your commitment. And the question therefore is, who are you committing to? 
Are you committing to yourself? Are you committing to others? Or are you committing to a higher power, for example? Yeah. So when I first came into this space, I remember I had an apartment in the city and we had a balcony that, you know, overlooked the city. And I sat out there with my wife and I said, I am going to sign a contract. And she said, who with? And I said, I'm going to sign a contract with the universe. And she said, okay, <laughs> what's it going to say? And so I can't recall exactly what it said, but it was, I wrote it on a bit of, you know, gold cardboard and I wrote it with a big squeaky black texture. And I put, um, I, Rich Nabel, uh, commit to the universe that I will do everything in my power to help as many people as I possibly can to ascend. And I will write books, I will do coaching, I will teach, I will, I will talk, I will do whatever I have to do. You bring them to me and I will help them. And so I said to my wife, and she said, yeah, go ahead and sign it. I said, no, no, no. I said, I want you to agree to this because this is not just me, this is you. This is going to affect our lives mm -hmm. because I'm going to have to travel a lot. I'm going, to have, I'm going to be out of a suitcase every now and then. There are going to be times where I'm not going to be home. And uh, are you okay with this? And she goes, hmm, okay. Am I okay with this? And, uh, you know, we were starting a young family and all of that. And uh, she said, go for it. Sign it. So I did. So I signed this contract and I stuck it on my bathroom mirror. And I had it there for probably a good couple of years just up there. It's probably in a box somewhere now. But it was one of those things that I declared that that's what I was going to do. And here I am 20 years later still doing it. So the why piece is really, really important. You know, if you want to create a, a bigger life or a greater life, you have to create bigger actions, greater actions than the actions that you're doing right now yeah and you've got to have the attitude to make it really work did you ask for anything in return or did you just say this is what i'm going to do or did you also say and in exchange blah 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 yeah well i didn't in the contract but verbally i have stated to the universe i never want to go without yeah you know, like my Which is goal fair, is, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is that, um, you know, I, I never really had aspirations to be, you know, a trillionaire or a billionaire or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't see the purpose of it, in all honesty. You know, years ago when I was stupid, um, you know, I would think about having Learjets and stuff like that. But... <laughs> Um, you know, I just think that's ridiculous and I don't think the world needs it actually. And, um, so all I really need is, is enough to serve my family and, yep. uh, you know, and that to me is fine, but the work that I do means more than anything. Yeah. You know, it, it's like this gentleman that I was talking about that, you know, had 30 years of sadness. Every time I see his face in, in, you know, you know, on Zoom when we do our trainings, I smile and I think, 
you know, we've made a difference. We've done something. Yeah. And, and I feel like I'm in partnership with the universe, you know, that it's our job to ascend people, get them, get them wiser, not, not intellectually smarter, make them wiser, help them to bring some wisdom into their lives so that they can understand their lives a bit better, you know, and, and understand why their lives are like they are and then make a choice. Do we want to make it different? Sorry to cut you off. There was a um, beautiful quote by the alchemist uh, and it basically in the book, the alchemist, and he's talking about when you decide what you want, like the universe conspires to help you achieve it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Paul Coelho did a wonderful job of that particular book and it was a beautiful book. And, you know, there, there is this wonderful divine energy, you know, when you tap into it and there, there's a thing like, um, my wife is amazing. She meditates in the morning, you know, she usually wakes up before me. And so I wake up to all her wisdoms that she gets during meditation. And, um, you know, this morning, you know, she was talking about people running from things. And she said, you know, the thing that I I really got today was that, you know, people are running away from what is naturally meant for them because they're chasing something else. Oh. And and I love that, you know, I mean, she's a very wise lady. And, uh, you know, the thing that I, I think when you make a commitment to work in this space, you're making a commitment to never stop learning. And uh, it's quite humbling, really, when you realize that there's, you might know a lot, but boy, it's probably about 2% of, you know, what is possible, you know, or maybe less. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then when you learn something, you learn something else. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Is that right anymore? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You continue questioning yourself. Yeah. Uh, we are out of time, Rick. It flies by. I mean, oh, wow. I know that, you know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Hey, but when you're passionate about a subject like you and I are about untraining the brain, um, it's not a surprise to me that, that we blink and it's over. Is there anything yeah. that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you or you didn't get a chance to? And also how can our listener at home find out more if they are interested in working with you or getting started on their NLP journey themselves? Yeah, look, I, I think as you always do, your questions are brilliant. You you really do get the oh, best out you. of me every time we, you know, we, we connect. Um, I, I think the, the best place that people could connect with is our lifebeyondlimits.com.au website. There's a whole bunch of stuff on, on there. There's, you know, NLP trainings. There's all sorts of things. There's some freebies. There's lots of stuff. In fact, I keep being told off by people that I put too much in there, (laughs) but there is, there's a lot of stuff on the side. Okay. And I'll put a link as well to that in our show notes for the listener at home, as well as a link to our previous episode as well, in case they'd like to go back in uh, and check that one out if they haven't already heard it. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rick. And I'm sure this won't be the last time. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. I look anytime. I love having a chat with you. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.